1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today. We're going to be talking about current global events with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Then Byron Donalds, our congressman, will be joining us. Lots to talk about with regard to what's going on Capitol Hill. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, will be our guest as well. It is August the 29th, and on this day in 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall near Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana as a Category 3 hurricane. Despite being only the third most powerful storm of the 2005 hurricane season, Katrina was among the worst natural disasters in the history of the United States. In the wake of the storm, there were over 50 failures of the levees and flood walls around New Orleans and its suburbs. The levee and flood wall failures caused widespread flooding. New Orleans Mayor Ray Negan, uh, ordered a mandatory uh, evacuation of the city on August the 28th when Katrina briefly achieved Category 5 status and the National Weather Service projected devastating damage to the area. But an estimated 150,000 folks who either did not want to or did not have the resources to leave ignored the order and stayed behind. The storm brought sustained winds of 145 miles per hour, which cut power lines and destroyed homes, even turning cars into projectile miss- missiles. Katrina caused record storm surges all over the Mississippi Gulf. The uh, surges overwhelmed the levees that protected New Orleans, located at six feet below sea level. uh, And uh, soon, 80% of the city was flooded uh, up to the rooftops of many homes and small buildings. Tens of thousands of people sought shelter in New Orleans Convention Center in the Louisiana Superdome. The uh, situation in both places quickly deteriorated as food and water ran low and conditions became unsanitary. Frustrated amounts amounted, uh, frustration amounted as it took up uh, to two days for the full-scale relief effort to begin. In the meantime, the stranded residents suffered from heat, hunger, and lack of medical care. Reports of looting, rape, and even murder began to surface. As news of networks had broadcast scenes from the devastated city in the world, it became obvious that a major majority of the victims were African American and poor. The federal government and uh, President George W. Bush were roundly criticized for what they perceived as their slow response to the disaster. Boy, the visuals were, the optics of that were just awful. Finally, on September the 1st, the tens of thousands of people staying in the damaged Superdome and Convention Center began to be moved to the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, and another mandatory evacuation order was issued for the city. The next day, military convoys arrived with supplies and the National Guard was brought in to bring a halt to the lawlessness. Efforts began to collect and identify corpses. On September the 6th, eight days after the hurricane, the Army Corps of Engineers finally completed temporary repairs to the three major holes in the New Orleans levee system and were able to begin pumping water out of the city. In all, it's believed that the hurricane caused more than 1,800 deaths and up to $150 billion in damages to both private property and uh, public infrastructure. One million people were displaced by the disaster and the phenomenon unseen in the United States since the Great Depression. 400,000 people lost their jobs as a result of the disaster. Offers of international aid poured in from around the world, even from poor countries like Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. Private donations from U.S. citizens alone approached $600 million. The storm also set off 36 tornadoes in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, resulting in one death. President Bush declared September 16th a National Day of Remembrance for the victims of Hurricane Katrina. In 2006, in a federal report, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers admitted that the flood control complex surrounding New Orleans had been incomplete, insufficient, and improperly maintained. The hurricane uh, protection system in New Orleans and South uh, Louisiana was a system in name only, said the report. Sad uh, occurrence in New Orleans. Again, Katrina uh, uh, invading the United States Gulf Coast area. Well, the Canvassing Board for Collier County met Friday morning and certified the official results of the 2022 primary election. The results included ballots cast by mail and in person during the early voting and on election day. Of the 249,758 eligible voters in Collier County, 29.7% cast a ballot. That's a sad commentary, folks. Quite frankly, we need to get out the vote coming up in uh, November. 29.7% cast a ballot. Surprisingly, most were by mail. 39,972, 22,989 were on election day. The rest were early voting. Total ballots: 74,139. It's amazing uh, statistics. Again, I wanted to just cover that simply to point out how how poor. It's probably average for uh, this uh, midterm primaries but irrespective uh, we, we all need to get out and vote. Well Governor Ron DeSantis suspended four Broward school board members from office during the recommendations following recommendations of the 20th statewide grand jury during its incompetence, negligence, of duty and misuse of authority. Even four years after the events of February the 14th, 2018, the final report of the grand jury found that a safety-related alarm that could have possibly saved lives at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School was and is such a low priority that it remains uninstalled in multiple schools and students continue to be educated on unsafe, aging, decrepit, moldy buildings that were supposed to have been re- renovated years ago. These are inexcusable actions by school board members who have shown a pattern of emboldening, unacceptable behavior, including fraud, mismanagement across the district. It's my duty to suspend people from office when there is a clear evidence of incompetence, negligence of duty, and malfeasance or misfeasance, said the uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. The findings of the statewide grand jury affirm the work of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School Safety Commission. We are grateful to the members of the jury who have dedicated countless hours to this mission, and we hope that this suspension brings the Parkland community another step towards justice. This action is in the best interest to the residents and students of Broward County and all citizens of Florida. Governor Sanders also made four appointments to the Broward County School Board in place of the four suspended members. I'm pleased that he has the power to do that. And again, it's not just his... uh, uh, A choice to uh, just get rid of these school board members because they didn't like them is because the grand jury found malfeasance. So I'm happy we uh, got that cleared up. Well, the FBI said it routinely notifies private companies, including social media platforms, of potential threats after Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg said Facebook decreased the distribution of the Hunter Biden laptop story right before the 2020 election because of warning from the FBI. Hey, the FBI said, hey, we do that all the time. (laughs) The FBI's defense comes after Zuckerberg appeared on the Joe Grogan Experience podcast. Host Joe Grogan asked Zuckerberg about how Facebook handled the story be first broken in the New York Post involving the questionable contents of the laptop. Reflecting on Facebook's decision on the story, which broke weeks before the 2020 election, Uh, Zuckerberg said the FBI told his company to be on high alert and that information dump similar to the Russian propaganda seen during the 2016 election would happen soon. Meta tweeted on Thursday, none of this is new and wrote that Zuckerberg testified nearly two years ago to the Senate about FBI's 2020 warning. The FBI released a statement in response to Zuckerberg's conversation with Rogan. Here it is. The FBI routinely notifies U.S. private companies sectors, uh, including social media providers, of potential threat information so they can decide how to better defend against these threats. This is just unconscionable and unlawful that uh, the FBI decides what is a quote-unquote threat. And of course, I have have no doubt that uh, uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook and uh, Twitter and these other companies are basically following the lead. Of what has now been a politicized and uh, leveraged uh, FBI to provide this information, the FBI has provided companies with foreign threat indicators to help them protect their platforms and customers from abuse by foreign malign influence actors. The FBI wrote, "Well, you know what? We can make up our own minds. FBI, don't uh, don't interfere." Stay in your own lane. The FBI agency said it will work with partners to keep the public informed of pu- potential threats, but it cannot ask or direct companies to act. Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, criticized the FBI for suggesting what information social media platforms should allow to be shared. Just again, uh, the FBI has been weaponized and has now become a branch, in my opinion, of the, re- of the uh, Democrat Party. Sad indeed. Well, some good news. NASA's moon rocket, new moon rocket, remained on track to blast off this morning at 8.33 despite a series of lightning strikes at the launch pad. This uh, is a 322-foot space launch system rocket. It's the most powerful ever built by NASA. It's poised to send an empty crew capsule into the lunar orbit a half century after NASA's Apollo program, which landed 12 astronauts on the moon. Astronauts uh, could return to space or to the moon in a few years if this six-week test flight goes well. NASA officials caution, however, that the risks are high and the flight could be cut short. In lieu of astronauts, three test dummies are strapped into the Orion capsule to measure vibration, acceleration, and radiation, one of the biggest hazards to humans in deep space. The capsule alone has more than a 1,000 sensors. Officials said uh, Sunday that Neither the rocket nor the capsule suffered any damage during the Sunday's or Saturday's thunderstorm. Ground equipment was also unaffected. Five strikes were confirmed hitting the 600 foot lightning protection towers surrounding the rocket at the Kennedy Space Center. The strikes weren't strong enough to warrant major retesting. Clearly, the system worked as designed, said Jeff Spaulding, the senior test director. More storms were expected, although forecasters gave 80% odds of the acceptable weather on Monday morning this morning. Conditions were expected to deteriorate during the two-hour launch window. So we hope this all goes well. Apparently, they're going to be exploring the south pole of the moon, which they've where they've never been, expecting to find ice caps and perhaps, uh, <clears throat> again, more support for human life on the moon. This could be a major... Ultimately, I guess the mean, uh, moon could become a new... Uh, space center for uh, NASA and for our, our uh, space flights going into Mars and other places. So this is a great strategic step forward for the space program and we hope this all goes well. The follow-on Artemis flight, uh, by the way, this <laughs> this uh, space uh, missile, the Artemis, is uh, 100 feet higher and longer than uh, previous uh, missiles and uh Rockets going into space. So uh, I'm thinking good thoughts for this. It's great to see the space program uh, starting up again. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Shulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Hardin, the host of The Bob Hardin Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app, by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with our congressman, Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Mark.
1: Thank you, Mark. So let's talk about current global events, and let's start off with a uh, update on what's happening in the Ukraine.
2: So in Ukraine, we... Sort of have a war of attrition, but not totally. The Russians have reached their limit of their abilities; they're unable to push forward anymore. So they've been using missiles to try to terrorize the Ukrainians, and basically everyone's holding the breath for the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And of course, you know, an offensive is much more difficult than a defensive action. So I'm sure the Ukrainians are trying to set it up. If they really have one really big, big good chance. At this sort of offensive. In the meantime, they've been hitting behind Russian lines consistently, uh, partially thanks to some of the armaments that the United States has given them, and partially due to what looks like some pretty effective commando units. So um, they've been bringing the war to the Russian side, not inside Russia itself, because, I mean, God forbid, uh, you know, it's like. The, the ukrainians should attack russia after the russians bomb the capital of ukraine but you know okay we'll leave that part aside for the moment yeah um
1: what so, hap- what's happened with the nuclear reactor
2: it's touch and go at the moment it's um the russians are playing a game with it at this point um and it's so hard to forecast these things yeah it really is um Look, the Russians have been, you know, the Russians have been, um, what can I say, the, the the most ruthless army since since World War II, without yeah. a doubt. And there's more war crimes than have been committed since World War II, beating probably Serbia and both Bosnia in those wars, without a doubt. Um, so is, but- there, is there any
1: indication of resolution?
2: No, absolutely not. Until the Russian army collapses, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. And those collapses in terms of a, a successful Ukrainian counteroffensive. A ceasefire at this point would be a Russian victory. Yeah. And and nobody wants a Russian victory. I mean, some people do, obviously. But a Russian victory is very bad for the world, at least for the Western world. Um, and uh, it's bad for the Ukrainians. Uh, so we'll have to see.
1: So uh, let's, let's, yeah. uh, let's discuss what's going on in Europe and, uh, well, around the globe, actually, with regard to energy and energy supply, uh, if you think about right, so
2: the, it. The oil supply is, seems to be less of a problem, Russian supply. You know, oil generally is very fungible, and you can move it around the world, and tankers can go to any destination. And so it really is, not, you know, after the oil shocks, we've seen a slow but consistent drop in prices of oil worldwide for the last two months. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that at the gas pump in the United States, and we're seeing it all over the world. So the oil is not the problem. The problem is the natural gas. Yeah. And natural gas, a lot of Europe is heated with natural gas, and the, most of the natural gas has been coming until now from Russia. Replacing that natural gas is not easy, let's put it that way. Uh, you need the new pipelines, which, you know, can take a couple of years to build, or you need... Um, liquefied, what's called LNG, liquefied natural gas, which gets shipped in, in specialized ships, but you also need specialized terminals in order to receive them. Yep. Um, and so uh, Germany is rushing to build some additional terminals, and a couple of other countries are trying to do that. Um, there is enough gas in the world. In other words, it's not, a, it's not a problem of sufficient natural gas. The problem in the case of natural gas is distribution. It can't be distributed in the same ease that oil gets distributed, and so the expectations is it's going to be a cold winter in in Western Europe. Let's hope global warming in this case helps out, and it'll be, it won't be that cold, shall we say? But um, that's really where it is, and you know, countries leaders are saying we need to sacrifice for the for the future of of Europe, the future of the world, and we'll see how much people are willing to sacrifice in this day and age.
1: Yeah, so to me, it it just seems like uh, this is self-inflicted wounds that we're suffering here because of how we're handling this energy situation. And globally, it looks to me like everybody's trying to cut back on uh, CO2 emissions and that that kind of thing. And it's affecting everything from fertilizer to uh, uh, energy supply around the world, including here in the United States. Uh, It seems like we're just driving the globe off of a cliff here in terms of energy.
2: No, I don't. I'm not sure I understand the the connection. I mean, the issue of energy was the fact that the Russian oil was taken off of the global markets, and of course, you have the issue of the Iranian oil. Um, the oil production in the United States is is way up this year as opposed to, to last year. Um, so that's not the issue. Um, the issue is a distribution and b. Uh, like I said, the big problem is natural gas and, and not in terms of oil. Now, the mistake was made was Germany and some other of the other of the Western or former Eastern European countries were relying on the Russians for natural gas yeah. and that was a great disaster. That was the great mistake that the the germans made and um, you know, the G- Russian gas was cheap and it was a cheap way of of heating homes and it would replace some of the nuclear energy which they made and some idiots um, Pushed to have the the German nuclear plants closed, and that of course is a big mistake as well um, you know some of the things that are happening is there is renewed interest in building nuclear plants both in the United States and in europe and in Japan now they're actually talking about building new nuclear plants now, that's obviously only you know that's one part of the solution, but it's a yeah. big part of the solution there's no There's no energy solution without nuclear well, power
1: yeah, but a related issue a related issue is this uh well we've seen the farmers uh react and. Uh, in uh, Holland, and uh, what's happened in Sri Lanka. I guess the point being is that that a lot of this has to do with this green energy movement globally, and uh, I think it's really leading to some real financial and uh, uh, energy disasters.
2: I'm sorry. I don't don't follow where the connection is at this point. I really don't. Um, The green energy uh, movement worldwide is the idea of replacing... The most polluting methods of energy with less polluting energy, and I think that's one of the one of the lessons that have come recently is the fact that okay, we can get rid of coal, but we can't get rid of natural gas. Um, and whenever we can, solar is good, wind is good, you know, hydroelectric is good, except for the fact that right now there's a, there are droughts all over the world, and that's going to cut into hydroelectric power. Um, and nuclear is good at this point and maybe we have some new possibilities of some new technologies going forward. Right. But none of that is none of that has decreased the has decreased the amount of oil that's being pumped anywhere in the world at the moment. Mm. Um and we'll see what happens in the future obviously and there will be there will be effects of this going going forward, but I don't think that saying that the um attempting at green energy is uh, is affecting this at this point, I don't think there's any proof of that that I know of. I mean, I'm happy to hear, but I've I've never heard any significant proof of that. That's what's disrupting the energy markets.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's tell you what, Mark. This is a good time to take a little bit of a break. Uh, can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's
1: your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and you can get tickets now and find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Congressman Byron Donalds. Right now we continue our conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, Mark, uh, what's going on in Libya?
2: So Libya has had, uh, since the time that Mohammed Gaddafi was overthrown, a series of warlords who have been fighting between a, you know, a government that's made up of the different warlords and ongoing fights that have been going on without really any end. And it, uh, they broke into real fighting in the last 24, 48 hours, and 30 people were killed in, in on the streets of Benghazi. Um, you know the effect, besides hurting the people of Libya, obviously, is of course creating more refugees, and um, that's um,
1: where are they that's going? Shame.
2: What can I where, are the,
1: where are the refugees going?
2: Europe, by and by and large. I mean, they're trying to go to Europe. We see the refugees trying to get into Italy, and they try to cross the Mediterranean, mm. and uh, some of them, a lot of them die in boats, and it's an ongoing tragedy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's a worldwide problem. You know, it's like we think in the United States that the problem of, you know, migrants from South America is a unique problem. The only reason it's more unique to the United States is we have a land border. Yeah. Europe's, Europe has had, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of refugees coming in, most of them by boat. But it's much harder to come in by boat than it is, you know, us the land border.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that update. Let's let's move to Taiwan. What's going on in Taiwan?
2: So Taiwan, the United States. Well, first of all, let's step step back a second. A number of additional senators and congressmen have visited, um, have visited, um, in the last um, uh, two weeks, three weeks since Nancy Pelosi was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, the the Chinese continue to um, continue to um, Aggressively patrol as I'm trying to use the word for aggressively patrol towards Taiwan, threatening some sort of a blockade. that's really the really the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have to see where that develops. I'm still skeptical that Chinese want to really get into a war with with Taiwan at the moment, yeah, so we will we'll have to see um, we'll also see how the Ukraine war ends, you know that will somewhat affect how the Chinese are thinking. Um, China is in some difficult circumstances these days. And again, we forget um, forget that demography is often destiny in so many different ways. And so the Chinese real problem, as we've discussed it before, is the fact that their population is shrinking. And so many places in the world, the populations are shrinking, and that's having an impact. Uh, So in some cases, they've been replaced. In Europe, particularly, they've replaced... Some percentage of the people that don't exist because of shrinking population with with migrants. Yeah. The United States over the years has done it with immigrants, uh, legal and illegal. But um, if a country wants to continue to grow, it has to have a growing population, not a decreasing
1: population. And my guess is there's not a, a lot of immigration into Taiwan.
2: No, Taiwan, there's very little immigration into Taiwan. There's little immigration to China, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting.
2: The uh, same way there was never any immigration into Russia It was all the other way.
1: Yeah, and, uh, of course, China has no immigration as well, so yeah, they, they've got a problem for sure, and uh, the economic uh, system is breaking down in China. We'll stay tuned to that one as well. Um, let's, let's move to Pakistan.
2: Okay, so Pakistan, last week we were talking about the fact that uh, the former prime minister was arrested. The courts, at the moment, basically freed him and said they can't arrest him again until the middle of September. Uh, they're basically arresting him because he's protesting against the government. I mean, so that's really hardly uh, a, a good reason. Let's put it that way. In a, right. a pseudo democracy, then of course this week suddenly they've been hit by the largest floods they've ever had, and that's been a terrible. You know, a country that has so many poor people. Uh, the, the flooding has been unbelievable in Pakistan in the last 24 to 48 hours. There are photos yesterday of this luxury hotel that was basically washed away, huh. uh, collapsed and washed away. So, you know, sometimes a lot of the world's worst flooding takes place in the, with the people who can least afford it. And, uh, you know, we saw that in the United States and Kentucky was, uh, two, three weeks ago. And we often see that in Pakistan and Bangladesh and those sort of places.
1: And a year ago so. uh, in uh, Louisiana with Katrina. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, let's talk what's, uh, what's going on in Iran right now.
2: Okay. So the question is, is the United States going to come to an agreement with the Iranians in terms of the, the nuclear agreement? And it's like. It's bad if they do, bad if they don't. I mean, the worst thing was leaving the agreement. That was the, probably one of the worst foreign policy decisions the United States has made in the last couple of decades because there was no plan B. So the United States left the agreement, and the Iranians started racing towards the bomb, or at least the ability to, have, to, to make the bomb. Mm-hmm. Now they're talking of returning to the agreement in some form or another. Uh, the United States wants to. Uh, Israel opposes it mostly, but on the other hand doesn't have a plan B either. The Iranians, as of today, said they will not agree to it unless the United Nations uh, Nuclear Energy Commission uh, ceases its investigation of the previous violations by the Iranians of the non-proliferation agreement. The United States has made it clear that it won't agree to that and won't force um, the United Nations to stop that investigation. So we'll have to see. I've never been convinced that the Iranians actually want the agreement. Yeah. Um, I think they've been pulling the, everyone's strings for a long time, but people who seemingly know better than I th- think otherwise. So I'm not going to stick my head out there and say with absolute that the Iranians don't want an agreement, and we won't see an agreement in another week. We might. Um, but look, the only solution in Iran is regime change, but no one has been able to bring it about. You know, yeah. it's, it's very nice to talk about, let's bring about regime change. Well, guess what? It's been how many years since yeah. uh, the U.S. embassy was... Um, was occupied and, you know, a year before the Shah was ousted, 1978-79. And we've been talking about regime change ever since. And have we gotten any?
1: No. Yeah. I well, want to remind our listeners, uh, didn't mention this in the beginning, but uh, Mark is in Tel Aviv right now. And uh, so this story came out last week. I wonder if you'd comment. Israel Prime Minister uh, Lapid, I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, correct. Yes. He, yeah, he requested an emergency telephone conversation with U.S. President Joe Biden and he was told, well, the president's on vacation, so no call with you. And then apparently uh, the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, uh, rebuffed uh, a meeting with uh, officials from Israel. What's going on there?
2: I'm not really sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> the Israeli defense minister, is, as of yesterday, was in Washington and met with, uh, with uh, Sullivan, the national security advisor. And he also met with Central Command. So. It's not at all clear. Look, um, for political reasons, Lapid has to come out 100 percent against the agreement because Netanyahu, who's running against is going to claim that that Lapid was soft on the agreement, even though it was Netanyahu who pushed Trump to to pull out of the agreement, and that was a tremendous mistake, but no one is willing to to say that publicly enough. Um, So it's not at all clear at the moment. Um, You know, I'm not really sure that, uh, you know, what is Lapid going to say at, at this point? What's Biden going to say? First of all, no one even knows whether there's going to be an agreement. And um, the United States seems to be convinced that uh, an agreement will will push back the Iranian um, nuclear po- program. Uh, it will bring it back so that there's at least a six months notice of when they, they will reach the point of having a bomb. Is that really true? We don't know. Yeah. Um this is you know, a says- of time.
1: Is there something more to this, though, in terms of the relationship between Israel and the United States and how the situation is? No, I don't
2: think so. I think this is all just posturing, political posturing at this point, Uh. uh, mostly on the Israeli side. Um, Because, uh, you know, again, um, obviously, uh, I guess I'll step back for two seconds. One thing that Israel never understood, and I wrote an article about this about uh, seven or eight years ago, that post-iraq, post-afghanistan, even though we're still in afghanistan, the united states was not going to get involved in a war of choice again. Not at least not in this generation. And a war right, you know, to take out the Iranian nuclear program, uh the only way to do that is risk risk an actual war. Um so so that's really Really, the problem, and uh, you know, for Israel, it's an existential threat theoretically. Yep. For the United States, it's a destabilizing factor in the world. Yeah. Um, and so, each one has its own national interests. If this was pre-Iraq, you know, look, the biggest single mistake the Bush administration made was going into Iraq and not Iran. Yeah. But that's a different story. That you know, that that was the huge mistake. If we were going to fight one war, it should have been there with the Iranians and that with the Iraqis. But that's whole other story and you can't rewrite history no
1: you can't mark Schulman again the founder and publisher of history central.com multimedia website for kids of all ages including you and i, I hope you'll check it out historycentral.com mark always appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much for joining us
2: my pleasure take care
1: all right coming up we're going to be visiting with our congressman byron donalds that and more right here in the bob hardin show on the bob hardin broadcasting network
0: to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us our Congressman, Byron Donalds. Uh, Congressman Donalds, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Good morning, Bob. How are you
1: doing? I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. I am. So, uh, Congressman, first of all, let me just congratulate you on an overwhelming victory in the primary this past week.
3: Well, first of all, really just thanks to everybody uh, for voting for me again and, um, you know, just, I guess, really validating the the, the quality of job that um, people think I'm doing. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. And-
4: once in November.
1: Well, you've been ubiquitous on the on public media, and it's just great to see you uh, making comments so often about uh, what's going on in the world. I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, the president has decided unilaterally, without the support of Congress, to uh, forgive <laughs> or transfer uh, loans uh, to uh, student loans. Want to get your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think you used the right word. It's transfer. Because the president doesn't have the ability to just wipe out debt. Uh, Nobody has the ability to wipe out debt except the lender of that debt. And so the the issue is that we're going to have is the president is using a very small and innocuous uh, statute from 2003 that was meant for the families of people who were serving in the military after 9-11 because at the time. Nobody knew how di- deep and dire the conflict was going to be. So the so Congress decided that it was in the interest of national service to help people whose family members were serving with uh, portions or, or all of their student loan debt. Okay. That was an appropriation made by Congress. Mm-hmm. With the And then also dealing with national emergencies. And that's the way they, they couched it. It was like supposed to deal with presidentially announced emergencies uh, because also 9-11, the country basically shut down for for, for two to three months, if people remember. Yeah. And so that's what that statute was for. Joe Biden has decided that it's going to apply to COVID-19, and he's just going to blow the doors off it. Something Congress never contemplated, never authorized. So when people ask me about it, I say it's illegal and it's unconstitutional because Congress never made any appropriations for a program like this. It's gonna cost, some estimates are half a trillion, some estimates are a trillion, depending on what they actually do when the final rules come out. Uh, but the, the biggest thing overall, uh, Bob, is that you cannot have a president just invalidate contracts. And you cannot have a president just unilaterally, without Congress, make these massive appropriation decisions. That is something that's a, a pure violation of separation of powers. And um, but I think the president's trying to buy votes
1: yeah. because
3: Joe Biden is a terrible president and he's bad at his job and he's got to do something to rally his base.
1: I think that's all true. And yet I talk to uh, people that I talk to say, well, you, uh, it's going to be hard to challenge because uh, it'd be hard to prove that you have standing in this case. Seems to me the the people that will have uh, standing in this case are the uh, people members of Congress. I'm just I'm wondering if you could sue the president for what he's done.
3: Well, I definitely think Congress is standing because, like I said, it's a it's a violation of separation of powers. The president is, is, is abusing. He's basically creating a legislative act where none exists. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, and maybe this will be a broad interpretation of standing. But anybody who still has student loan debt that makes over one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year, I think they have standing because the president just says. Oh, well, 125000 is the cutoff. Well, what happens if you make $127,000? Yeah. Now you have to carry the debt burden of another person. If that if, if that's not an injury, I don't know what is. Yeah. Uh, the third people that I think I think have standing are the student loan servicing organizations. Because essentially what Joe Biden has done has evaporated a portion of their business model with, with the stroke of a pen. They didn't even have the ability to go to their member of Congress and to talk about the issues with the policy like this. And what it would do to their industry, so actually, I think the standing issues is gonna, is is simpler now. Look, I'm not a lawyer, yeah. and of course, we know we have lawyers who can think their way into a into a paper bag yeah. ten times out of out of eleven. Yeah. Sorry for the lawyers listening. Yeah. yeah, but the truth of the matter is that I think standing is something that really exists here, because what the president has done is flagrantly illegal.
1: Well, hopefully somebody will put a stay on this. Some court will put a stay on this until it's resolved legally. But, uh, quite frankly, this is just—I—I uh, I, I can't imagine people that have uh, paid, have worked extra, extra jobs to send their kids to school, whatever it might be, and uh, in so many different ways, this just is just not right. And uh, if it's one thing, if Congress voted on it, but that's a, how can a president just uh, take out his pen and make a trillion-dollar, a half-trillion-dollar decision? That's for votes. That's a to your. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. They're just he's trying to buy votes.
3: He's trying to buy votes. I mean, look, if you if you want to actually talk, we talk a lot about all oh, the Democrats did this. Joe Biden did that. If you want to talk about solutions, about student loan debt and you want to talk about solutions, about the college tuition, there's a couple of things. Number one, we have to stop this process of just giving the colleges and universities unlimited money through the loan program. Right. They don't actually have to worry about their prices because they knows they know there's unlimited dollars right. given to virtually anybody who wants it to go get to not forget getting the college degree, to go sit in college classrooms. So like the schools aren't have don't have to worry about you actually graduating. They're getting the money whether you graduate or not. Right. That's number 1. Number 2 is the second thing we got to do is we got to stop funding unilaterally and and un, to an unlimited amount. Degrees in art history, degrees in humanities, because those degrees don't have economic viability in the real world and everybody knows it. And so those are two major steps if you're going to curtail the cost of college. Um, And then the last part is and it is really a societal issue. We've gone so far down this road of credentialing everything. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be, you know, if you want to have some jobs, you have to have a college degree. When the reality is those jobs don't require a college degree. Right. What they require is work ethic and the ability of the individual to grab skills and tasks quickly and then replicate them at high levels of, 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 of efficiency. That's what we have to get to in the United States. if We actually want to do something about these soaring costs in colleges because unlimited money chasing goods only raises the price of the actual good. That is not about education. That's pure economics.
1: Absolutely, and Byron, we've seen that not only in uh, the cost of education, higher education, but also in terms of uh, healthcare. And uh, somehow, some we need to get the government and third-party payers out of the business of uh, of, uh, of what they're doing here. So, uh, b- before I let you go, I do want to get your comments, though. On the, I've just announced that uh, four point five five million people have come into the country illegally under this president's uh, jurisdiction. Want to get right. your thoughts?
3: Well, once again, Joe Biden has done something that was never contemplated in law. He has basically expanded the asylum process, the asylum seeking mm-hmm. process in a way Congress never intended or even contemplated. What they basically do at the southern border is border agents are not allowed to, to make a determination of credible fear, something that they have always been able to do. Joe Biden has removed them from doing that. He's also said that if somebody comes in and just states they want asylum, They actually have to get a hearing in front of an asylum judge and they have to be provided counsel for this asylum hearing. Now, folks, it takes about a year for the first hearing to take place. There are two hearings. The first is like basically a notice to appear. Mm -hmm. Virtually everybody goes to that (laughs) one because that's when you get the documents to be able to go get work permits and and get access of, of benefits in the United States. But the second hearing, that one's seven years away, wow. and hardly anybody goes to that one. So this is a complete bastardization of the asylum process. It's a, it's easy to fix. Number one, border agents have to be able to once again make determinations of credible fear at the southern border at the southern border when they encounter migrants. That's one. Then number two, if people really want to claim asylum, they need to do it in their home country or in the nearest country that has a U.S. embassy or a U.S. consulate not coming to the southern border. Last part of what he's done, he's subsidizing the drug cartels. They're going to make $15 billion a year trafficking people into the United States and fentanyl trafficking has shot up 1,000%, killing people in every city in America. I don't care if it's a red state or a blue state. People are dying from fentanyl overdoses. This is all brought to us by Joe Biden and the radical left who always wanted an open border policy. And now we have one and we're seeing the effects in America.
1: Byron Donaldson, I have, to have so much more I'd like to discuss with you. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show and visiting with our listeners, Byron. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTague, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and uh, author of several books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of Some Great Murder Mysteries. Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel just recently uh, published, and I've read them all. Uh, no problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you,
4: Bob. Hey, I've started a fourth book, and and the title is Best Seller, so it will automatically be a bestseller when
1: it hits the stands. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds great, Jim.
4: So, so I, I'll tell you what's on my mind today. You know, I I have images of the movie The Wizard of Oz when the scarecrow gets a piece of paper, a diploma, and suddenly he's a genius. Hmm. You know, to me, that movie forecasts the future because today, essentially, colleges are issuing diplomas to uneducated people and saying, take on the world. And, And so they go out. You know, to and they have a big student loan debt to finance their uh, shaky education. And, of course, they default, and we have a fiasco like Joe Biden proposing a uh, loan forgiveness program that the Wharton School, I was reading this morning, says could cost a trillion dollars over 10 years, mm. and, and it could cost $22 billion this year alone. Whoa! Uh, where's that money going to come from? Uh, uh, seniors, watch your 401ks. <laughs> the I mean, raid is coming.
1: You know, and you divide up a trillion dollars or half trillion dollars by the number of voters in the coming in the midterms. That's a lot of money per vote. get
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, I read the Washington Post, so you don't have to, because it Thank really you, is Jim. a left left wing rag. Um, But they have a front-page story today that suggests that uh, the bill that uh, Biden signed, I call it the uh, uh, Joe Biden Popularity Act, will actually do nothing to boost the, the fortunes of the Democratic Party because your average American is getting killed by inflation. And, you know, at the same time, the stock market is beginning to retreat and and so the wealth, the wealth effect of stocks is disappearing people go to the supermarket and they can hardly make ends meet and that's they're going to vote their pocketbooks in this election so so this massive spending proposal uh which would really harm the country going forward Probably will have no impact at all on this midterm election.
1: Yeah, I think that's. Now, I think that's a great point. However, just uh, you mentioned that it's a bill. It's not a bill. It's an executive order. Somehow, some way, uh, he's ignored the Constitution. It's the power of the purse belongs to Congress, not to uh, the President of the United States.
4: Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. You're right. So so he's really. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, a lawsuit will stop this in its tracks. I want to point out that the Republicans in 2020 signed two bills. They signed the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, but they signed it in December. Uh, and they signed the, the CARES Act, uh, you know, during the uh, COVID plague. And both of those bills provided, uh, you know, the Consolidated Appropriations Act provided 1.6 billion in debt relief to our historic uh, black colleges and universities. There are 32 private institutions and 13 public ones. And then uh, the Republicans passed the, uh, I have it mixed up. They passed an appropriations act that gave those colleges 1.6 billion. They passed the cares act and schools just our black universities and colleges were allowed to use that money to forgive student debt. So, so the, uh, Schools uh, forgave a billion dollars in student debt, more than 20 schools. So there's a little bit of hypocrisy involved in the Republican Party, except, to your point, uh, Biden is uh, ignoring the Constitution and a trillion dollars compared to a couple billion dollars. Uh, a little bit of a a difference there.
1: Yeah, no no, no question. So, uh, you know, you you brought up the stock market. Uh, We're seeing some real choppiness right now. You mentioned in our last interview, when we talked about the the financial markets, that there could be some choppiness. Looks to me like they're just taking a dive. Yeah,
4: you know, originally, I thought this would be a typical midterm election year, where you see choppiness up to October. And then if you invest in October, and hang in there until May. You're going to see a nice return. However, uh, as the Fed increases raising interest rates, there's a lot of confusion among investors because you know we really can't calculate how the low interest rate policy of the Fed f- f- for about a decade inflated asset prices. How much inflation is in our asset prices? Uh, number one and uh number two there's a there's a lot of confusion that the money supply m1 uh, if you look at the velocity of m1 and what velocity means is uh every time i spend a dollar at the uh, store that's a transaction mm-hmm. and you expect that uh in times of inflation uh, my dollar will be spent multiple times because people will be trying to to stay ahead of increasing prices. You know that's that's why you see people flocking in the stores like Costco and and, and loading up the larder. They're they're trying to avoid higher prices in the following months. Mm-hmm. But the velocity is at a historic low. So you know what the heck is happening? We have prices increasing but people are spending less they're, they're penurious and it might be uh that they're paying down their debt so right. uh, why is this important well are we going to have a hard landing or a soft landing it looks like it's going to be a really hard landing yeah
1: well jim uh, the, and real- just let me add this to the to the, to the mix right now uh the credit card debt is increasing massively right now uh, for, for the retail uh, buyer, for, you know, people who are. Uh, and, and the other thing that's happening is apparently 20 million households are behind on their energy payments, on their electricity and, uh, you know, their utility bills. So, I mean, we're talking about uh, the reason why the velocity is perhaps low is because they're just trying to scrimp by and somehow, some way uh, make ends meet.
4: That's a good point, because almost every public utility commission in the country has gotten rate increase requests from the electric companies, to your point. So energy prices will continue to rise. You know, I think we're going to have a very hard landing. I think we're going to have uh, layoffs that are painful. And to your point, if people have lots of credit card debt and they're suddenly out of work uh they're not going to be able to pay that off so we're we're going to have a lot of loan defaults so it's going to get very ugly and i think the midterm elections will revolve around this issue you know paying it in your own wallet number one and and the the other one i see is street crime yeah did did you see the story today that a dutch soldier was killed in indianapolis
1: no unbelievable
4: you know, the Dutch soldiers was in, in uh, Indianapolis for training with the U.S. And uh, they got involved in a street crime and one of them was murdered. I mean, so, you know, street crime is rampant in our cities. It is. Uh, so, I mean, this is another big issue. So my point being that, uh, you know, Joe Biden can spend trillions, trying to increase his popularity and his party's popularity. Uh, but it ain't going to happen because uh, the average guy is really suffering right now.
1: No question. Jim McTech again, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief. His latest book, No Problem. I hope you'll check it out. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.